Now, how many of you have been keeping up with the Olympics? How many of you have been watching the Olympics? Yes, most everybody? Man, I, I'm like, I, I, I have to admit, I haven't watched nearly as much as I wanted to. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really wish I could see more of it. I've seen some of it. I've absolutely loved it. I just thought this morning you might enjoy seeing the, the total medal count. So go ahead and let's see what the total medal count is. United States. Oh, come on. United States, 112. And might I add, then there's everybody else. I, 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 it's evil. I like to win too much. 112. I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. But we celebrate those medals, and there's so many incredible human interest stories that come out of the Olympics, and you see what the athlete went through and all of this. But uh, we celebrate the gold, right? We celebrate the silver. We celebrate the medal. We stand there at the podium when the national anthem is sang, and we clap, and we rewind, and all that. But none of us are there when they train. None of us are there when they, when they sweat and they skip stuff and, and their life is regimented down into a daily schedule of diet and routine and sleep and exercise and train and perform and practice and over and over and over and over. And some of them have just been driven by their coaches to push further and further. It took someone else to bring the best out of them. You ever seen the first person, an Olympic athlete, generally goes and hugs when they win something is their coach. It took someone else to bring out the best of them, and that's kind of the way this series has been going. We've called Made for More. So in other words, there has to come a point in every Olympic athlete's training when their coach says, hey, you're not a bronze medal athlete, you're a gold medal athlete. It's time to act like it. It's time to train like it. It's time to shake that off and give it. You don't think they've had those conversations? Oh, yeah. These are the best athletes in the world. Some of them are the best athletes in Olympic history. Some of them have set world records and reset their own record. They're competing against nobody but themselves. There's nobody left. And so you, you think there's this moment, and, and this is kind of what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It reminds me so much of it. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you are not a bronze medal winner. You are a gold medal winner. You've been made for more. Now let me give you a little bit of the backdrop of 2 Timothy so you know it's not just a crazy book, and you should ignore the rest of the Bible because it's all crazy. Because this one's intense. I'm just going to tell you. Not every book is as intense as 2 Timothy, particularly chapter 1, that we've been in this month. But Paul is in prison. He's been put in prison because he's preaching the gospel and he won't stop. He's been telling the truth about Jesus and he won't stop. And he is at the end of his ministry. He, won't, this is, he wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament. He won't write another one. This is his last letter to his best protege, to the person who followed him and is kind of following in his footsteps and will take over a lot of his leadership when he's gone. And this is his last opportunity, not to see his face, he'll never see him again. This is his last opportunity to say anything to him. And that's the backdrop of 2 Timothy chapter 1. So, so far in 2 Timothy, the things we've been reading are, are kind of one-liners. You could put them on a t-shirt. You might see somebody walking through the mall. You know, they're very simple. They're easy to understand. Hey, you have sincere faith. 
Timothy, fan into flame the gift. Um, Don't be timid, Timothy. Very simple, catchy phrases. But now as the chapter continues, things get a little bit more complicated and harder to understand. Now, you probably won't understand it all, and, and I wouldn't be able to understand it all unless I studied a little bit deeper. And you might be tempted when you read parts of the Bible like this just to sort of skim over them because you can tell there's a lot of language in there. You don't really know what to do with it. And maybe you've done that before, and, and I've done it before. Because I go, whoa, that's, I, don't, that's, like, that's, I don't have time to get a doctorate in something. That's, that's a lot there. I don't know what that means. When we were in the Nehemiah series this summer, it occurred to me... <clears throat> When this, the uh, this series we did called The Walls Are Gone, when God sent Nehemiah to rebuild the city walls, and Ezra came out, if you remember, four days after the walls were completed, Ezra came out and the people begged and said, please read the Bible to us. And Ezra stood from 6 o'clock in the morning, from sun up till noon, and he read the Bible. And it occurred to me that you can't have renewal, you can't come close to God without also coming close and returning to his word. So I'm thinking one of the most important things that I can ever teach you is how to read the Bible for yourself. So this morning what I want to do is I want to do two things at the same time. I want to show you what to do when you get to a part of the Bible that's kind of complicated. I want to give you some thoughts about how to read it and understand it better. At the same time, I want to show you in 2 Timothy 1 this part of Paul's challenge to Timothy. So here we go. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 12. Here you go. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who's destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Now, turn to the person next to you and explain to them everything that means. <laughs> you, you probably couldn't, and I couldn't, without a little bit deeper study. So, let me give you, how do you, how do you, how do you get deeper into parts of the Bible when they just seem like they have big, powerful, deep language, but you just can't put it all together? If you have something to write with, let me give you some thoughts. Here's the first one. Start with the context. We've already talked about that. Paul's in prison. He's writing his last letter. This, I won't say this is a desperate letter, but it's an intense letter because it's the last one. So you get that. So we know the things Paul's already said to Timothy. Timothy, you're a sincere leader. Fan the flame of your gifts. Timothy, you're too timid. God hasn't given you timidity. He hasn't given you fear. God gave you power and love and a sound mind. That's all the stuff that came up to this point. So that's the context. Here's the second thing. What is already clear to you? In other words, what have you read that you say, I know what that means, I know what that means, I know what that means. So let's look at a few of those things. Here's the ones that just seemed easy to me to understand. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. So so here's one of the things you can pick out. Now, 
If I'm sitting in my living room and I'm reading my Bible, I'm doing my own Bible reading, and I read across this passage in my own Bible reading, then I have to back up and say, now what does that mean? Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Now, there are times in my life that I've been a little shy about admitting that I was a Christian. Now, I'm willing to bet you that most of you, if not all of you, have had that feeling. I've certainly had that feeling at times about there's been certain environments. I've been like, oh, man, I, I, I'm not sure that I want this crowd to know that I'm a pastor. They, because pastors have, there's been so many scandals, there's been so many problems, there's been so many issues that I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I can remember when I was uh, young, I worked at Baptist Hospital in Memphis. And I had, I had built up over time a great, um, uh, I don't want to say testimony, but I, had to, I was known for integrity. And so I would sign in on time, I would do the right thing, I was honest, I had a good work ethic. I remember we had to sign in, some of you remember this, maybe you still do it that way, not a time clock, you'd sign in. But you had to go into the boss's office to sign in. And so if you signed in wrong, the clock's there, the pen's there, the paper's there, it's all right there. You, you can't lie. And so I, I was never late, but one day, my start time was 7 o'clock, I, I came in at 7.01. And so I thought, well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. So I signed 701. The boss called me aside later that day and said, hey, why didn't you just put seven? I would have given it to you. I said, well, I, it wasn't true, and it didn't seem like the right thing to do. I, don't, I didn't think about it much deeper than that. And so over time, I had built up this reputation of being honest, but nobody knew I was a Christian. So we were in this training class one day, and, and uh, it was, I don't know, anger management or something, whatever, whatever the, some of these corporate things are. We were in this class one day, and they're going around, the, 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 the little a starter question was, how do you deal with stress and frustration and this, that, and the other? And I'm not kidding you, I was shocked. I was a young guy, teenager, I was in the room, and all these people older than me working. And, and when they, they turned, they were asking everybody questions, everybody's giving their little answers, and, they turned, and the whole room turned and looked at me, and I went, I was not ready for this. Why, why would... Because I think they couldn't figure out why I lived with it. And, and here's what I'm, I have to tell you. I totally bombed. I totally dropped the ball. My heart started racing fast. I knew it was an opportunity God had given me. I knew God had given me integrity. And I knew God had given me that integrity so that it would be a testimony for His grace. And I knew I had an opportunity, and I went home, and it weighed heavy. If I'm honest, I hadn't thought about it in years. If I'm honest, it weighs heavy on me today. Because I think I had an opportunity. I had a clear-cut, Holy Spirit-given, door-open opportunity. Not to go crazy, but to say, you know, you should have known me before. When God changed my life, man, He changed everything about me. And I used to be an angry person, and I used to be filled with all kind of confusion and frustration and I'm not perfect now but man I have a lot of joy and I'm patient and God has helped me I didn't say any of that I just fumbled and 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 when I read this verse I look here and I say have any of you ever wasted an opportunity to tell people about God's work in your life have, have, have you ever have you ever held back sometimes I think we think if I tell them I'm a Christian, they're going to think that, you know, I'm judgmental or I'm critical or I'm a gay hater or I'm political or I'm, I'm something. 
I mean, it's intense. It's an intense world out there. If, I'm in, if I invite them to church, they're going to think that maybe I I'm, I'm brain, want to brainwash them or I'm part of a cult or something like that. I'm selling them some kind of religion. And, and sometime at work or, or in a relationship or in the marketplace, maybe even inside your own extended family or even in your own house, you have the perfect opportunity to say something like, you know, when God forgave me, my whole life changed. I used to be addicted to this, and now I'm not. My faith is how I got through this. Or I go to Kingwood Church, or I work in the middle school ministry, or in children, or I'm a life group leader, or I go on mission trips, or I've done this. I'm on the worship team. You have a perfect opportunity. The doors open. The Holy Spirit set the stage, and you just don't walk through it. I've had those moments. I bet you have. And the question we ask when we come to this part of the Bible is we say, is it pride, is it wisdom, is it discretion, is it embarrassment? What is it? So I'm reading the Bible, and you don't have to be overwhelmed by all the things you don't understand. There's one right there that's clear to me. (laughs) And I can spend a few minutes in prayer when I open the Bible and say, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And say, oh God, help me to not be ashamed. And, and uh, maybe, maybe you say, God, give me wisdom. Help me to be prepared. Help me to be ready in season and out of season. If you live that good testimony, then be ready when the door opens for you to walk through it and say what the Holy Spirit's put on your heart to say. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. I was before that happened, and I still did it. But, but what is that? So Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a relative or a loved one in prison. It's a complicated thing. It uh, usually comes with a stigma. People don't typically come forward with that kind of information when you first meet them. How were the Johnsons and our, our sons in prison? That's really not you know, good for socializing. You know, hey, hey we're, we're the Jones family, and our, our, our dads have been in prison all my life. Most of the time, people don't just kind of come forward to that because there's a stigma attached to prison. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, we, we used to travel together. When, when I was speaking in front of large crowds and people were accepting the gospel, you weren't embarrassed of me then. But I get the feeling now that I'm in prison You're ashamed of me. Why? Why are you embarrassed of me? I'm in prison because I'm preaching the gospel. Something's up, Timothy. You're ashamed to testify about our Lord, and you're ashamed of me, his prisoner. So if I'm reading this in my devotions, the Holy Spirit's just going to work on my soul. I need to share my faith, and I need not to be ashamed of people who are suffering because of the gospel. America's Christianity's become so polluted with prosperity and success and self-help and life enhancement attachment that we tend to turn away from people who are suffering because of the gospel. Christians are the most persecuted people on the earth. It is true. There's not one group in world history more persecuted than Christians. And, 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 and we need not turn away from them or look away from them or be like Job's friends who said, I know why he's suffering because he's got some hidden sin nobody knows about and he's going to suffer until he comes out with it. 
Paul says, I don't have any secret sin. I'm just in jail because I won't stop sharing the gospel. We're now moving in a season of American life where, where, the, where the wind is at our face. The resistance is at us. It's at Christianity. We can't afford to shy away from people who are suffering because of the gospel. So then he says, but join with... Okay, now it's about to get worse. Join with me. <laughs> Don't be ashamed of testifying about the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me as prisoner. And by the way, join me. The water's fine. Jump in. Wow. Can you believe this? If I'm reading this in my devotions, I've got some business to do with God. Because if I'm honest, and maybe if you're honest too, sometimes what we want is we want to have a we want to be a passionate follower of Jesus that cost us nothing. We want to be a passionate, we want to be known for that. We want to be spiritual, we want to be close to God, we want to be everything, we want to be a gold medal winner in heaven. We just don't want it to cost anything. We want it to be easy, and sometimes we maneuver to make it easy. And when I read this passage, I have to look at it and say, maybe it's not just Timothy that felt that way. Maybe sometimes it's us that feels that way. Now, so far this passage isn't confusing. It's painful, but not confusing. So if you're following along, how do you read the Bible? Context, what do you, what's already clear. Now let's look at the things that are confusing. List out the things, when you come to a tough part in the Bible, list out the things that are confusing. Here's some of the ones that I found. So God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is very important. Paul starts right out of the gate to Timothy. He says, Timothy, God saved us. You didn't save us. I didn't save us. God saved us. Do you know that's the difference between Christianity and virtually every religion in the world? Every religion in the world has this God who says, this is the standard. If you don't meet it, you're out. Now figure out how to get up here. That's what every religion in the world says. Christianity says, God set the standard and God did the work. And he gave it to you for free. And he forgave you for free. And he gave you strength for free. God saved us, Timothy. That's what the Bible says. God did the work and called us to a holy life. So what does that mean? He called us to a life set apart for his purposes. I have been separated. For, that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, I'm in jail because of the gospel. God has separated you from everyday ordinary. Whatever your life would have been like before, God has separated you from that for his purpose. That's what a holy life means. It doesn't mean some bunch of legalism and all that. Not because of anything we have done. Paul said, Timothy, Timothy. Come on now. You, you, you don't think for a minute that you deserve your salvation, do you? You don't think that you deserve the spiritual gifts that are in you, do you? These have been put in there for God's purpose. You don't think you've earned any of this, do you, Timothy? You don't think you have a right to this. You don't think you deserve it. You don't think you've earned it. You, look, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. 
No person should ever walk around. No person who follows Jesus should ever walk around and mistakenly believe that they're somehow in the kingdom because of who their family is or how much money they have or how gifted they are or how spiritual they are or how talented they are or how good a life they lived or how young they got saved. We all got saved the same way. It's the gift of God. There's no works you can do to give. Paul's saying, come on, Timothy, you got to remember this. And why? Because of his purpose and grace. Now, here's what you need to get today. God made a decision about you. It was his purpose to call you. It was his purpose to invite you. It was his purpose purpose he made a decision ahead of time and this says because of his purpose and grace not because of your works not because of anything else not because you hadn't missed church in six months not because you none of that because of his purpose and grace he made this decision about you and let me give you the best definition i know of grace god loves you Grace is God loves you. There's no why, just because he does. And so he says this grace, this God loves you, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Time out. (laughs) What did we just read? This grace, this God loves you, this purpose, this decision about you, this invitation about you was made before time started. The clock of time hadn't even been wound yet. And he already decided thousands of years and centuries past creation that he would love you. When there were no humans in the universe, he thought about you before the beginning of time. God had already decided to give you grace in his son, Jesus Christ. Whoa, are you kidding me? Before the beginning of time. But we did reach a point in history where God says, I'm going to let all of humanity in on the plan. And he sent his son, Jesus. This was the, this was when he decided to reveal this, this is the before time grace. This grace that's been activated even before humanity was, look, it's not like God looked over at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and said, hey, things are getting out of control down there. We got to do something. I mean, like, we created them, but I didn't know they were going to go crazy like this. This is out of control. We better do something, wringing their hands in heaven, having a conference going, what are we going to do? This wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. This wasn't God in panic mode. Before God breathed life into Adam, before God created Eve, before God set the first star in the sky, he had already decided to give grace through his son, Jesus Christ. And at the right time, this grace that was already decided was revealed in Jesus. Now, now, this is what Paul's telling Timothy. 
we did reach a point in history when it's time for this grace to be revealed by sending his son Christ. So Paul's saying to Timothy, now look, Timothy, that just happened like a couple of decades ago. In, in this letter's time period, hey, that just happened. We just reached the point in history where this before-time grace was revealed and we all got to see what it really was like. And when Jesus walked the earth, he taught like no one had ever taught. He healed like no one had ever healed. He loved like no one had ever loved. He reached out to the poor and cared for the poor like no one had ever cared for the poor. And then he innocently died on the cross to pay for all our sins and then to prove that he was who he said he was and to prove that everything he said was true, he came back from the dead. We call that resurrection. Here's how Paul said it. Who has destroyed death. Oh, look, let me put it in modern vernacular. The way that the United States has destroyed these other countries in the Olympics. Are you with me now? He destroyed death. He didn't tinker around with it. He didn't flirt with it. He didn't play with it. He destroyed death. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Not only did he destroy death, he brought abundant life. John 10 says he came to give life and life abundantly. And beyond that, he destroyed death. He brought abundant life. And then he gives us heaven. Did you see how this works? After we finish living the abundant life Jesus came to give us, we go on to live in eternity surrounded by health and life and passion and beauty and joy and peace. So what is all this? Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm in prison. I'm not getting out. What happens to the church? The church is... It's up to you now. And there's this thing, there's this thing I need you to know about. There's this extraordinary thing called the gospel. It's eternal. It's death-destroying. It's life-giving. It's eternity-altering. It's world-changing. This gospel has changed my life, and it changed your life, and it's so powerful and so precious and so important that the world knows that you and I should both be willing to sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice to get it out, to suffer even if we need to. That's what he's telling them. Then Paul says, by the way, BTW. That's why I'm suffering now. That's how I got in jail. He says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame. I am suffering, but I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not embarrassed. Timothy, you might be. You seem to be ashamed of of me and you seem to be ashamed of the gospel. I have no trouble being in chains because I was out there spreading the gospel. Now, here's the question. If you saw this gospel as Paul did, here's how Paul saw it. Astonishingly powerful, death-destroying, life-changing, eternity-altering, uh, world-changing. If you saw it as clearly as Paul did, would you be more likely to live a little bit more the way Paul lived? Would you be more all in for God? 
Would you be a little bit more willing to sacrifice for it, even suffer for it a little bit? Would you be more willing to maybe alter your routine or change your schedule or reprioritize some things? I think what's happening when Paul's writing this last letter to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, Timothy, you're a sincere guy. You're sincere. You're honest. You you want to do good. You want to do right. You're sincere, and I, you're a sincere leader, and I'm, and I'm glad, and I love you like a son. If you read 2 Timothy 1, verse 2 and 3, he says, my, my son in the Lord, I, I, I couldn't love you more. I love you like a son, but you're too timid. You're not fanning the flame of your spiritual gifts. You're embarrassed to tell people that you know Jesus. You're embarrassed to tell people the gospel. You're embarrassed that I'm in prison and you won't sacrifice for the gospel, let alone suffer for it. And and, and it's like Paul, I feel like is kind of coming to these conclusions as he's writing. I think as he's writing, he's saying, you know, I think that Timothy has lost sight of the power of the gospel. It seems like Paul is thinking from his prison cell. I don't think Timothy realizes that the gospel can still change people's lives. I think he feels like that was for a day that's past. I think he feels like that we're too modern or we're too intelligent or the world's too sophisticated now. I I don't think Timothy realizes. I think it's been too long since Timothy has seen a sinner cleansed. I think it's been too long since he's seen a a hateful person become a loving person or a greedy person become a generous person. I think it's been too long, and I think Timothy now believes that the gospel's lost its power and it's not worth sacrificing for and it's not worth suffering for. And so I just want to ask a question to all of us this morning. Sometimes we're timid. Sometimes we're embarrassed about the gospel. Some, some of our friends and coworkers don't even know we're Christians. We hide it or avoid it. And, and, and I'm wondering this morning if we might have something in common with Timothy. Could the underlying reason for our timidity be our unwillingness to sacrifice or suffer for the gospel? Could it trace back to the fact that we've lost our faith in the power of the gospel? In other words, that we doubt now the same gospel that changed us can change somebody else? Is it possible that we kind of like Timothy sometimes? Some of us just aren't sure the gospel works anymore. Things are too sophisticated, too complicated. Technology's moved too far. There's too many varying opinions. There's too much, too many politics. There's too much pluralism. Have we lost our faith in the gospel that changed us? When I met Jesus and, and found forgiveness, I can remember I was 15. And when I received the gospel, I remember the next day wondering, now what? <laughs> was, was that it? And, and, and what does that mean? And what am I supposed to do? And I can remember in the weeks following that moment how joy started to fill my life and how my mind began to um, be washed and how the broken pieces in my soul started to be healed and how the passion in my life and the purpose started arising. In a few months, I realized God had called me to be a pastor. Now, that was a shock to me because I never wanted to be a pastor. I never looked at any pastor and said, I want to be that. I want to do that. It was never an ambition of mine. And and I wasn't really excited about it when it first happened to me 
if I'm totally honest, but here's where my excitement skyrocketed. When I began to understand that God wanted to use me to bring the same message to other people that had changed my life. And I said, you mean I can be part of that? Are you saying to me that you want me to be part of bringing this, this message, this, the, the word that God loves you, that God's for you, that he'll save you, that he'll forgive you, that he'll change you, that he'll heal you? That's part of the whole thing. And, and we can find as many other people who've been changed by that message, and we can work together and take that message as far as we can? I'm in on that. I didn't know that's what it was. Thought it was hiding in some office, creepy old office in the back, reading all the time. Like, I'm, I'm in on that. Now, Paul ends this section in a very interesting way. Now, you can feel it, right? He's built up this tension. Can you imagine Paul, uh, Timothy, unscrolling that letter and going, whew, maybe I'll read that in pieces. <laughs> this, is, this is personal. He unscrolls this letter, and he ends it in a very interesting way. He says, Timothy... I think you've lost the point. I think you're afraid. You're not using your gifts. You're embarrassed of the gospel. And I have just one more thing to tell you. Paul does a classic move on his son Timothy. Verse 12. He says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What is he saying? Maybe you've sang that song. There's a song with that verse. Maybe you've quoted that verse all your life. What, but what does it mean? What is he saying? I'll tell you what he's saying. Timothy, if you've lost your faith in the power of the gospel, and if you're going to live in timidity, and if you're not going to take risk, and if you're not going to sacrifice for the gospel, and if you're embarrassed about all this, then that's your choice. But I'm staking my whole life on the power of the gospel, and I, if I have to walk into the future alone, I'll do it. Whew. Wow. It changes how you read that verse. Paul's saying, I know Jesus Christ. I know the power of the gospel. I met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. He changed me from a persecutor of the church to the greatest advocate of the church that I could be. He took this angry, arrogant man, Saul, and changed me into Paul the Apostle. You may not think the gospel has the power to change lives, but I watched it change the prisoners that the Roman government sent that are chained to me in this prison. I watched it change their life, and I baptized some of them in prison. The guy's dying in prison and people are getting saved. He's a wild man. You might not think the gospel has the power to change lives, but I've seen it change kings and servants and Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free. And I've seen it change families and I've seen it change neighborhoods and I've seen it change cities. And I've seen enough. I know who I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've entrusted to him against that day. Timothy, go whichever way you want to go. I can tell you which way I'm going to go. I've already made my mind up. Whoo! He just lays it on him. So Paul says, I'm making a choice. I'm going to be all out for God. 
I'm going to be all out for sharing the message that changed my life. I'm going to plant as many churches as I can plant because the churches steward the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care what it costs me, and I don't care what sacrifices I have to make, and I don't care how much I have to suffer, and I don't have to care care if I go to prison. I'm in prison. I'm not ashamed. Now, I was wondering... If the Apostle Paul was here today, how would he end this service? There is absolutely no doubt in my mind how he would end it. I know he would say, if there are people here this morning who need to accept the gospel message, today's your day. If you've been on the fence, if you've been wondering, if you've been questioning, if you're curious, if you've been feeling a tug in your soul, if God's been working in your life and you know today's the day, he would say, this gospel's for you. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He he destroyed death. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to wash away all the painful things that happen. He wants you to walk in freedom and forgiveness. And he wants you to be changed. And this gospel will change your life. So this morning, I think if Paul were here, he would say, what will you decide? For those of you whose lives have been changed, I think he would say, would you please pray about not being embarrassed would you honestly take those moments of embarrassment and awkwardness to the father and say Lord help me to have the wisdom to know what to say and help me to have the courage to say it when when it's clear you've opened the door I, I, I think he would say There's some decisions maybe we all need to make. We're going to sing this song. We're ending with this old song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And today's a day of decision. So maybe today you need to decide that I'm going to invite Christ into my life and I'm going to welcome the forgiveness He decided to give me before the beginning of time. Maybe, maybe you're here and it's a decision. You say, I need to make a decision to go all in. It's time for me to stop holding back with God. Maybe you say, you know what? I need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you say, you know what? There's some decisions that I need to make you know, in, in my relationships, in my marriage. Maybe it's time for me to find my spiritual gift and fan it into flame. Maybe I need to make a decision. Maybe, maybe some of you are here and say it's time for me to make some moral decisions. Some of you maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's working on your heart and there's some secrets in your life and it's time for those secret things to end. If Paul were here, he would say, I decided. What are you going to decide? So if you'd stand with me this morning, and I want to ask our prayer team to come. Prayer team, if if you'd come now. I gave you a little card at the beginning of the service. And here's another decision I want to ask you to make. On our community picnic day, 
We're going to start the series called My Story. I'm going to share my story. I'm going to share how I got saved. And here's what I know. People will come to faith on that day. I don't know who. I don't know how many. But I know this. The more that are here, the more are coming to faith. And so this little card, if you'll take it in your hand, here's what I want you to do. If somewhere in this service God's put somebody on your heart, I want you to bring this card to the prayer team. I want you to say, would you pray with me for my neighbor? Would you pray with me for my friend? Would you pray with me for my, my spouse, my, my child who's away from faith? Would you pray with me for my neighbor, my co Would you just say a quick prayer of agreement with me? They need the gospel. They need the gospel. Every eye closed. It's decision time. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you say, today's the day for me to receive Christ. Today's the day for me to take a step in marriage or spiritual gifts or, or some secret things that need to end. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to sing this song, I've Decided. And as the Holy Spirit calls you, I want you to, I want you to just step and come to one of our prayer teams. They're only going to pray with you. Maybe you have a friend on your heart. You say, I, I've decided I'm asking God for the next three or four or five weeks, two months, whatever. I'm asking him to open the door. I'm asking him to open the door. I've decided. It's time for me to find my spiritual gifts. Would you pray with me today that God would help me find my spiritual gifts? That's what we're saying this morning. As the worship team begins to sing, I want you to come now. From the balcony, from the floor made that decision. I want you to come now.